All right, so if you, if you would, um, you can turn in your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, just as a heads up, today's uh, message will be uh, considerably shorter than uh, the typical uh, sermon at Redemption Hill. So, you know, don't be disappointed when this one's a little shorter. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, want to turn our attention to what is known as a parable of Jesus. And you say, what is a parable? Jesus often spoke in stories, and he would tell these parables to help people understand spiritual truths about the kingdom of God and, and the life that he invites us into, and he would do that by way of analogy or story. And so in Luke chapter 14, what we have going on is Jesus was invited to the house of a religious leader. Okay, these, these leaders were, uh, a group of them were known as Pharisees. And Pharisees were very strict according to how they sought to live out the law of God. And they were very, oftentimes, not all of them, but many of them were kind of self-righteous in how they presented themselves to others. Hey, look at me. I went to church, you know, on baptism Sunday, and I'm going to pray before before everyone. And, and so basically, these Pharisees kind of thought they knew it all, but in reality, they had a lot to learn. And so it's not surprising that the master teacher, Jesus Christ, when he hung out with them, by the way, he loved them. He wanted them to truly understand the way of God. When he hung out with them, he often would teach them lessons to, to understand what it really means to know God, what it really means to follow him. And so early on in this chapter, uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but uh, you essentially have Jesus dining, uh, eating a meal at this Pharisee's house, and he notices that when people walk in, uh, everyone wants the most important seat in the house. And so Jesus says, hey, guess what? Sometimes it's, it's good. In fact, no, all the time it's good to not take the place of importance, but to take the lesser place, the place of humility, to put others before yourself, that that's what life is like in the kingdom of God. Knowing God, when you truly know God, you're going to put others before yourself. And then he goes on, and he talks about uh, when you invite people to a meal or a banquet, uh, don't just invite your friends. Don't just invite people, you know, that get, you did them a favor, and now, hey, they can do something nice for you. He says no. Uh, in verse 13, he says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And when you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You see that? Jesus is saying, look, life in God's kingdom, it's, it's not about just the, who you think are the most important people because everyone's important to God. And he wants everyone to come in, not on the basis of their status, not on the basis of their achievements or accomplishments, but on the basis of his love. And then this causes one that was eating with Jesus and these leaders to say this in verse 15, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a statement that, that according to Jewish belief and also Christian belief that, that there is coming a, a day when everything will be said and done and we will enter into eternity, into the, 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 the reality that God wants for all of us in the very beginning. And when he said that, Jesus then spoke up to tell this parable, to tell this story, to help them see what that they will truly be like, what that feast, that banquet will truly be like when God invites us all in to his better feast and his better 
banquet. So let me read this story for us. I just want to draw out a few points to help us understand what's happening here. This is what Jesus says in verse 16. But he said to him, this one who said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He says, Jesus says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And as another said, I have married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, What you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I hope as we hear this story, and as we seek to understand it, you will understand who's inviting you into this feast and what you're invited to. Who who it is that is inviting you into the feast and what you're invited into. You see, as I shared, the, this, this story, Jesus would just, he was always looking for teachable moments, right? And so this one statement by someone around the table leads Jesus to tell this story to help people understand exactly what that blessed kingdom is all about, what it's really going to look like. And he wanted to teach these religious leaders a lesson because the heart of Jesus, reflecting the, the heart of God, the Son of God, re- reflecting our Father God, God wants everyone to experience the life that he desires to give us. And so as Jesus is telling this story, you may think like, oh, he's chastising the religious leaders. He's chastising the the Pharisees. And listen, yes, certainly he's correcting them. But in his correction is love because what he wants is to pull them into the feast. And so what is this feast? What is this What is this picture of of the story, a great banquet that is coming uh, in not just this life? We we get little taste of it in this life, but there is a forever banquet, a forever meal in the coming kingdom of God. You see, it's not just a a meal that we will enjoy. Like we just sit down after we die, after after Jesus returns and and the new heavens and the new earth come. Um, It's just like we'll just sit down at the table with God and that'll be a really cool experience, okay? Um, This forever banquet is symbolic of everything that God intended for us in the beginning, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, and everything that is to come, the full restoration and redemption of all of creation, including those who 
know God through Jesus, it is not just a little satisfaction, you know, not just a, a little bit of joy, but it is unending fulfillment, complete satisfaction and fullness of joy that we are invited into at the banquet of God. It's being freed from everything that hinders us, everything that holds us back, all of the anxieties and discouragements and disappointments that you and I face in life. Jesus is saying, you will be freed from all of that and you will enter into eternal rest and peace. All of the crazy, all of the brokenness, all of the suffering, all of the sickness, yes, even death will be dealt with, will be defeated in the coming kingdom of God. And we will enjoy, like never before, the life that God wants for us. It's better than what we can even imagine. This was the expectation of of those that were sitting around that table, Jewish expectation. They they knew that the kingdom of God was coming. They had read Isaiah 25, where it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, and God will swallow death forever. That's what's to come. This is what we're invited into. Jesus tells the story so that everyone around the table and everyone who would ever hear his words would say, this is what God is inviting you into. I hope you see that this is not just, like, like I think a common kind of belief is that like heaven and eternity, the new heavens and the earth, it's just like a souped up version of like the best things that we want in this life, you know? So like we can just like play golf all day or like we'll just eat the best food, you know? We'll be even reunited with our loved ones, super important, better than golf and food, right? But it's like, no, no, no. The greatest thing about the feast is who is inviting us to the feast. God made us for himself, and he's inviting us to, to be in an eternal relationship in his presence, that that is where fullness of life and joy and peace flow from. It flows from the very presence of God. And so to be invited to the feast is to be invited to God himself. I hope you see God for who he is, and I hope that you have received and accepted the invitation to know God through Jesus. But, but, but what happens in the story, as, as you heard, the, the narrative takes a, an unexpected turn when this amazing feast, the music is playing, the food is ready, the, 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 listen to this, the, the host is waiting in anticipation So, so maybe that just didn't hit you like I hoped it would. Listen, the host pictures forth God. God is throwing a feast for you. And God has invited you. Once here's the custom of, of, of Jews, okay, it, similar to, to how we often offer, operate when we throw a party. Okay, there's, there's an initial invitation. You RSVP, hey, I'm coming. And then everything is prepared. And then... The custom of the Jews was to then give an announcement that the celebration, the feast, the the party is prepared and ready, so now it's time to come. 
And when the the host, the master of the house says, it's time to come, he is waiting for them in anticipation. He can't wait to see the crowds come to this amazing feast that he has prepared for him. And that is the heart of God toward you. God is waiting. His eye is on you. His arms are open. He wants you to come to him. But it says in verse 18 through 20 that there were those, in fact, that received the first invitation that began to make excuses for why now they could not come. After having said yes, they said, you know what? I'm not going to be able to make it. One says that I bought a field. Perhaps there was kind of a second inspection that needed to take place. And so he says, you know what? This is a priority now, and I can't make it to the feast. Another says I have a five yoke of oxen. This means this man was filthy rich in that uh, culture and would have just had loads of of land and and wealth. And he prioritizes examining these oxen uh, instead of coming to the feast. And then another says, you know, I've just been married and I need to prioritize time with my wife. You see, what what you need to understand is that none of these are valid excuses. None of them. Number one, they knew about the feast. They, they, They had already been invited. They had already said yes. These matters in life, these cares in life, they could have been taken care of before or later, but instead they focused on other things. The thread through these excuses is this. There is something more valuable and important to me than coming to the celebration. And when we say that to God, we are not only rejecting the gifts that he offers us, but we are rejecting God himself. And so I just, I just have to ask you, is there any excuse? Is there any barrier that's keeping you from receiving the invitation to join the feast of God? I mean, you, you even heard in these stories, um, man, I, I grew up in the church and I thought I was good with God, but I didn't really have a relationship with him. I never received his, this gift that he offers me through Christ. Or or, uh, I I, I search for satisfaction and meaning and fulfillment in all of these other things like a a successful running career or or drugs and alcohol and we're chasing pleasure, we're chasing after all of these pursuits, but ultimately anything other than God is going to leave us empty. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so perhaps for you, you would, you would say with, with these uh, three in the story, like there are just other things, if I'm being honest, that are more important than God. Perhaps it's relationships. Perhaps it's work. Perhaps it's just the attitude. I, I, I hear this all the time, and even if people don't articulate it, I know it's what's going on in the back of their mind. They're thinking, you know what? Like, man, God is there. And so, you know what? I'll just get to God when I want to get to him. You know, I'll just, I'll work that out later. You know, I'll get things right with him later in life. All of these are excuses. 
And all of these excuses keep us from the feast. And what we learn here is that when we miss out, please hear this, when we miss out on the life that God wants for us now and forever, the fault is not on God because God's arms are wide open. When we miss out on God's best, it's because we've rejected God and his gift to us. So I just want to plead with you. I don't know everyone's story. In fact, I don't know everyone in the room. So thankful that you're here today. But, but my hope and prayer is that not one person would leave saying, this God that offers me abundant life now and eternal life forever, the life that I've always dreamed of, that not one person w- would say, hey, there's something more important. There's something more valuable in my life. But that today could be the day that you accept this invitation to come to the feast of God at his invitation. Because you see, here's, here's the deal. And this is where the hopeful end of the story happens, okay? In spite of rejection, the heart of God is revealed in that when people made excuses and they didn't show up, what does the master of the house do? What does the host do? We see it here in verse 21. It says that he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And the servants come back and say, think there's still room. Then he says, then go out into the high lake. Go everywhere that you can go and bring more and more and more people in. And so if you want to know what God is like, hear the words of Jesus. God is the God who welcomes us in love. Everything about this story, everything about the feast, it's all on the basis of God's love for us, that he's inviting us in to be in a relationship with him. Okay, God is not this distant, detached God that that isn't concerned about our lives, but he's so concerned that he wants to walk with us closely and he even wants to reside in us. Amazing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, Jesus, will not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. God wants you in his presence. He wants you at his feast. But not only is God love, God is also gracious. You see, oftentimes, and and, and perhaps... your story is, is similar to this. Oftentimes we think, you know what, hey, there's a feast, and so I need to bring something to the feast. You know, like, man, they're working hard. i got to contribute to this. You know, like, I've got to make this special dish, and so that, like, I'll be received into the feast, but grace is implied throughout. The host, the master of the feast, extends the invitation and asks nothing of the guest. He just says, come. But if this isn't crystal clear in the first part of the story, it should be crystal clear in the last part of the story because he says, you go out and you invite the lame. People that can't even get here on their own. They might have to be carried by someone else. You invite the poor. You invite the the blind. You invite the crippled. Bring them in. And Jesus says this because this is an outward physical 
depiction of the inward state of every human soul. We have to see that we are spiritually poor, spiritually blind, spiritually in need of God and his grace to invite us in because we have nothing to bring him except for our sin and rebellion that separated him from the very first place. You see, Jesus sent, God sent his son Jesus to, to live the life that we should have lived but could not live because of our sin. We said, God, you know what? I have a better plan. I have a better way. I'm going to do my own thing. And in spite of that, God in his love, he just welcomes us back. He keeps giving us the invitation so that if we look to Christ and his death on our behalf and his resurrection, that we can have life as he has brought to give us life. And so I want to invite you today to receive the gift of God through Jesus Christ. It is so, it's so simple. God doesn't make it hard. It's, it's just as simple as receiving a gift. And so perhaps today, for, for maybe for the first time, you need to say, like, like, like these stories, like Matthias and, and Bella and Matt shared with you, that, that, that like maybe you think you're in, but you've never really stepped both feet into the life that God invites you to. And you just know that deep down, that you've never really committed your life to God. Or perhaps you can identify with, with these, this, this redundant theme of like emptiness and, and just, I knew there was something missing. I know there was something more, that God had something more for me. And you just know that deep down that all of your pursuits, all of your achievements, all of your degrees, all of the money that you've made, all of the relationships that you have, like it just doesn't ultimately satisfy you. Because God didn't make us for stuff or even other people. First and foremost, he made us for himself. And so what I want to do today is just invite you to the feast. This is what Jesus is doing. He's inviting us to the feast. And it's just as simple as this. If that's, if that's where you are today, if that's your story, then, then here's the invitation. Number one, admit your need for God to God. Admit, admit your need for God to God. And that's just as simple as saying, God, I see that you, you want this relationship with me, that I've rejected you, that I've sinned against you, but that you sent Jesus to die in my place to give me new life. And then B, believe in Christ and receive the gift that he offers you through faith. As Matt read, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. And then, and then C, A, B, C, admit, believe, and then commit. Commit to follow Jesus as your greatest priority in life. And if, and if God's showing you that that's what you need and he's waking you up to that reality, then that gift is there for you like right now. And so what I want to do is I just want to end with a time of prayer. I just want to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes and the music team's going to go ahead and come forward. But if you could just focus in, not on other people, not what's happening in the room, not the person next to you, but if you could just... Look at God with the eyes of faith and just examine if you have a seat at the table. Have you accepted your seat at the table? 
Because if you have not, then there is no better time than right now to say, God, I'm coming home. I'm coming to the feast. So I just want to ask you in your heart of hearts, if you know, like Bella and Matthias and Matt, if you know, like, I need God and I need to put him first and I believe in Christ, if you need to receive that invitation to the feast today, would you just put your hand up so I can see you and so that I can pray for you? If you just put it up like super high so that I can see and I know who I'm praying for, that would be awesome. Who else? Raise a high. Awesome. Anyone else? All right, let me pray for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for each person in the room. Thank you that you are not a stingy God, but that you are a generous God, and you invite all of us to your feast. God, we celebrate. We celebrate with with, with these three that have told their story, and we celebrate with those even now that are saying, God, I need you. I admit my need for you, that, that my sin has separated me from you, but, but God, I trust in Jesus what he's done through his life, death, and resurrection. And so God, would you even draw them now to just be able to articulate to you their need for you and their desire to follow you and to commit their life to this new life that you have for them. God, we love you. We're thankful. We sing your praise today in the name of Christ. Amen.